Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. With me, of course, is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is Christoph Biermann, reporter for Elf Freunde in Berlin, previously with the Spiegel, and author of a number of books, including Football Hackers, the Science and Art of a Data Revolution. Christoph, pleasure to have you on the pod. Delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Not at all. Uh, today we go back to May 2013 for the Champions League final at Wembley Stadium, which ended Borussia Dortmund 1, Bayern Munich 2. Christoph, why have you chosen this game? Um, for, for me, there are probably two matches that uh, are peak Germany in a way. One is Germany winning the World Cup one year later. Um, against Argentina or especially the the match against Brazil on the way, the um, famous 7-1. But two German clubs um, at this stage in the final in Wembley, German German fans singing, football is coming home, (laughs) 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 on the way to the stadium. Um, (laughs) I I think it it brings up uh, together uh, what... Germany, Germany's football was about at, at, at that time and um, maybe a height that we haven't reached before because, um, I mean, there was this uh, fantastic um, Bayern Munich side a year ago, but, but it's, it, it's Bayern Munich only now. And at that time, it were at least uh, two teams, and and uh, there is a history to that where they were coming from, or German football was coming from that we'll surely be talking about. Mm. Yeah, it was the first all German Champions League final, as, as you say. We'd previously had an all Italian affair, all Spanish, all English. Um, and, but not only, Jonathan, was it an all German affair, it was the Classica. A match between two proper rivals. We saw this obviously the following year when it was an all Madrid affair. So there was an enormous amount of spice to this game. Oh yeah, there was. I mean, there'd been all the stuff in the build-up about Lewandowski. He was a Dortmund here, but you know, Bayern making very clear they wanted to sign him. Um, the the fact that Mario Götze, you know, had, had, had agreed his move. Um, so yeah, there, there was all of that. Um, but I, I think even that point you make about the fact we you know we'd we'd had an all Italian final, had an all Spanish final, had an all English final, and it, it sort of felt then that it was still possible for supremacy in Europe to move from country to country, whereas now it feels like it's almost gone beyond countries and it's just a, a tier of clubs who somehow exist beyond their leagues. Um, and I have to say, I'd completely forgotten what a good game it was. I was I, really I surprised looking back at it. <laughs> yeah, I, said, yeah. I didn't think it was a bad game. But I think maybe there's something about, A, when it's in London and you live in London, it, do, it doesn't it doesn't sort of stand out in your mind in the same way as that time when we went to Lisbon or that time when we went to Milan or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I think also, you know, the point that Christoph makes, it, it felt very much part of the process of we'd seen the rise of German football, which then culminates the following year with the World Cup. And so in my head, it's just part of that. But it's actually a really good game in its own right. Mm. Oh, it was, yeah. I mean, I, it's funny because <laughs> I was actually at the game, uh, courtesy of our good friends at Adidas. And uh, I, I, and I, I couldn't believe watching back. I thought, blimey, I really need to um, kind of remember this a bit more in my mind's eye because it was, it was a great game. But with two German teams reaching the final, you know, how much do you think that suggested that the the, the Bundesliga was um, had it brought more attention to the Bundesliga. Do you think, Christoph? 
Um, I think it's, it, it had especially to do with Borussia Dortmund and the Borussia Dortmund story because in a way they were uh, yeah, the underdog um, in, in the European uh, context or the underdog among these big teams. So what you have to remember, they had been on top of Europe winning uh, the Champions League in 1997 uh, in Munich uh, at that time at the Olympia Stadium, the, the old uh, Bayern home ground. And then they went almost bankrupt uh, the, uh, later on. Uh, so because they spent too much money, rebuilt as a Westfalen stadium to this impressive arena that it is today, but um, they they completely lost it, and um, and then they were struggling for uh, for some years to to get out of the hole, and all of a sudden the savior came, and the savior was Jurgen Klopp, who kind of not only reinvented Borussia Dortmund, but, but, but there was a feeling that he was almost reinventing uh, German football. That, that is not true to that extent, but, but that was a bit of the feeling uh, people were having at that time. And, and now he did not only win the German title, what he did in 19, uh, 2011 and 2012, and, and 2012 also the double. And, um, but now he was even bringing this underdog uh, to, to, to the biggest um, club match in Europe. And, um, and I think that especially the Borussia Dortmund story with the yellow wall and the, uh, uh, the fantastic supporters they were having, that created a lot of interest uh, also abroad. Yeah, Jonathan, do you think, obviously we remember Borussia Dortmund winning the Champions League, beating Juventus in the final in the 90s. But do you think the Borussia Dortmund that people kind of know now and, and and their image and what they think of Borussia Dortmund, do you think that's what Klopp did? Is it, is it really Klopp's Dortmund that, that, that people Yeah, think I think so. Um, I mean, it's very difficult not to, even when you're looking back at, you know, certainly from my point of view, and obviously I recognise that I am to an extent an outsider in that regard, but I, I think it's very hard not to back project Klopp on, onto even the team of the 90s. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, it, it grows out of the financial issues as well, right? They, they couldn't be a team of celebrities. They had to be a team with this work ethic, with this philosophy. Um, and there's even that detail that one of the ways in which they're able to pay off the debt, whether one of the ways they're able to survive was that Bayern loaned them 2 million euros, <laughs> which is... Yeah, it's, a, it's a bit, uh, sorry, but it's a bit of a myth. So they, oh, I really? think, uh, but, yeah, it, it's true, but, uh, but it's, uh, it was not what uh, saved Borussia Dortmund. I think it's, it's uh, how Bayern likes to tell the story. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, but the point is, it's still one true. club loaning another club money. It's, yeah. a, it's a it's a power which, move ultimately. Which, yeah, I mean, there's two ways looking at. It. On the one hand, yeah, thanks very much. Now we can survive. On the other hand, <laughs> you're right. It's a power move. It's, it's such a like yeah. We'll 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 bung you a few quid. Yeah, you know, just tide you over. You pay us back whenever. We'll be fine. <laughs> what was the interest rate? I want to know that. that well, there was no collateral on the loan either, was it? It was just sort of. Yeah. You know, there's there's two million euros. We don't, you know, we're not asking for part of your training ground or anything. Or we're not asking for, <laughs> you know, the left leg of your centre forward. Just just have it. If you can pay it back, great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe some football clubs are more generous than we give them credit for. I don't know. That might be quite <laughs> But quite I mean, fanciful. from Bayern's point of view, you know, it, it, is a, it is a, I mean, this is sort of a much wider point. But there is a problem that I think we're currently being forced to address in European football. And the Super League, I think, 
while it's the wrong way to address it, it, it you know it is at least addressing the right problem, which is that some clubs are too big for their leagues, and 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 even in you know in what two thousand and five, Bayern seemed to have recognised that. Hang on, if we lose Dortmund, this league's a joke. Yeah, there's nobody's going to be able to challenge us. We have to keep at least some kind of competitor. Um, and, and you know, I think one of the reasons for the Premier League's success uh, is that you have know, a collective bargaining means that the 20th team in the Premier League you know, obviously doesn't get as much as a team that finishes top of the Premier League, but it still gets a big whack of TV revenues compared to what you get in Spain or, or Italy. So. Yeah. Well, but 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 if 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 you I mean I was talking about peak uh, Germany um, because the feeling is a bit of decline afterwards and that has uh, to do with what uh, Jonathan uh, said. I mean, uh, the last German champion that was not Bayern Munich was Borussia Dortmund in two thousand eleven. And uh, 2012, sorry. And, and from then on, uh, only Bayern took the title. And that is, um, yeah, that's depressing in a way. Yeah. Uh, because uh, because uh, nowadays, or in, in many of these seasons, there wasn't even a real competition for, for, for the title. So there were seasons when there were champions already in April or so. Mm. And, yeah, Klopp himself. Oh, sorry, can I, can I just ask you on yeah. this? I mean, and again, it's it's obviously very difficult looking from abroad, but the perception I get is that there's almost an acceptance of that among fans of other German clubs, and the the sort of the the consolation that they find is well, at least it's not the same four qualifying for the Champions League every season. That the teams finishing th- third and fourth often change. You know, there is uh, flexibility there. There is there is a, a chance for sort of mid-sized team to still finish fourth, still get in the Champions League. Is that is that fair or, or is that sort of a, a bit of a Bayern myth, a bit of Bayern propaganda? Um, I, I wouldn't agree. I, I, I would uh, think there is uh, a, a certain amount of frustration among uh, supporters that that we don't have a, a proper competition for for the German Championship. Yes, I mean, you get used to it in a way. So, so teams are happy be, because they... Uh, winning once in four or five years against uh, uh, Bayern or, or so, but but that's um, and I think it's it's also partly devaluating uh, the the Bundesliga. I don't know how it looks from abroad. Uh, if you think, oh yeah, by Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. My 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 instinct is this is a terrible thing for football when one team wins all the yeah. time. And I'd say the same of Italy, the same of France, the same of Scotland. Yeah. Um, and obviously France and Scotland have had, and Italy have all, you know, last yeah, but, season but, but, it, it changed. But, but, it, it was in a way, when we look longer back, like 20 or 25 years ago, it was a sign of a weak league or hmm. a small league that you only had a, a, a small group of clubs winning the title. Typically, Scotland, for example, because it was always either um, Rangers or Celtic or, or look at Portugal with uh, Sporting, Porto and, and Benfica taking all the titles. But they had at least three or Scotland too. We all now have only one. And and, and that's... Uh, I, I, I I don't know how how sustainable that will be, or if the interest will will decrease. And there are some some signs here in Germany. Because when I've when I've said that on Twitter, the the, the I mean, obviously, whatever you say on Twitter, you get a backlash. But the, the specific <laughs> backlash here is 
Yes, but at least a team like Wolfsburg can finish fourth. Whereas in England, although we talk of a big six, actually it's a pretty obviously defined big four at the moment. And you know, it's the same teams getting the Champions League, and that self perpetuates. And that is, you know, it's it's a fair point to the extent that competitiveness. A lot of what you define as easily competitive depends where you draw the line. Do you draw below the top one, below the top four, below the you know the, the, the top twenty? And and English football, the top four is is pretty blurred. But then there's very clear stratification going down. Even between the Championship and League One, there's a huge gulf. Um, so it's it's a very very difficult. Uh, you know, once those steps are there, they're very very hard to smooth out. Yeah, and Klopp himself said, didn't he, at the time that he he didn't want to create a situation where one team would dominate, and or maybe just two teams. But his Dortmund team uh, around this time, two thousand eleven, twelve, as as you say, Christoph, you know, they were the champions. You know, they had managed to uh, dethrone Bayern or, or or beat the others because when we go back, there were a few other um, winners of the Bundesliga. It wasn't that long ago. Wolfsburg won it, of course. Uh, but, but actually, sorry, in- I mean, on, on that point, is, was that was that sort of relative um, competitiveness of the first decade of this century, was that to do with the collapse of Kirsch and all the financial problems? Or was that a more general competitiveness? Um, no, I, I think what, what what you there is a, a long process of a decrease of, of competitiveness that started yeah, already in the nineties. And and that has obviously to do with the distribution of, of TV revenues, especially. Um so um in the Bundesliga there was a bigger tendency to favor the big teams um uh, compared to to the Premier League for example so the ratio between what the first and the last of the table get has always been bigger in Germany uh, uh, for for a long time and that over over a longer time creates a, a, a growing gap um that's one reason and the other reason is whoever managed to uh, to stay for for many years in the um, in the Champions League again um, had a big advantage over over the uh, over competitors. I mean, we're not talking Schalke here <laughs> because they <laughs> they completely blew it. Um, but um, but uh, uh, Borussia Dortmund also um, uh, they they had a huge advantage uh, for that over. Smaller team like, let's say, Borussia Mönchengladbach or Eintracht Frankfurt, who uh, historically had been on the same level um, as them. So, yeah, there is a, a big, big distortion of of of, of, uh, com, uh, of the competition uh, here in Germany, and I think it's bigger than it is in in England. Or, yeah, I, I was just thinking. Uh, now, uh, Italy and Spain are similar, and, and France, obviously, as well. Yeah. Okay, chaps, let's have a quick break, and then after that, we'll uh, talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard. Uh, so, gentlemen, uh, going into this game, as we've talked about, you know, a bit of the sort of the recent history and, uh, and so on, but. We focus a lot on Borussia Dortmund there. Turning our attention to, to Bayern um, would be quite uh, relevant, I feel. They, of course, they, they won the Champions League in 2001. They had the heartbreak in 99, but they'd quickly gotten over that in 2001, you could say. They'd lost the 2010 final to Mourinho's Inter, in, in which it, 
no disgrace there. I don't think there was any any sort of shame. Obviously disappointing to lose a final. But then in 2012, they had the heartbreak of losing to Chelsea at the Allianz Arena. Now, again, this victory would quickly kind of, uh, uh, you know, make up for that perhaps. But my, I suppose my question to you, Christoph, is that 2012 final against Chelsea, does that still remain in the memory for Bayern fans? Or did this final victory manage to to smooth that over? Does it, does it cover it? Uh, I, I would think so. Um, I'm I'm not a Bayern supporter myself, sure. so so I I don't I don't know how much uh, how the soul healed with this, <laughs> <laughs> or the, yeah. uh, the the, the, the it, open wound was closed by this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I, let's turn it round. Okay. If they would have lost it, oh. it would have been terrible. Oh. Yeah, it would yeah. have been absolutely terrible because the year before. They not only lost this uh, finale at home, so the uh, final at home, uh, under um, yeah, dramatic circumstances in the uh, penalty shootout against uh, uh, Chelsea, but they also lost the German Cup final against Borussia Dortmund, and they lost it convincingly two five, and uh, and and I think especially this match is very important because it was was. Um, how can I say that waking up the fighting spirit of of Uli Hoeneß, who who is um, who is the key figure to understand Bayern Munich uh, over the years because he was always the driving force. He was always giving the energy, and he was he is, and he is also having a kind of dark side. And I don't uh, because. He 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 has a tendency wanting to destroy competitors, and one of the ways, <laughs> yeah, and um, one of the ways is taking away the the best players, and and I think especially so that uh, I think almost the official Bayern history losing this 2012 uh, German Cup final gave the idea: okay, we have to get. Uh, take Borussia Dortmund much more seriously and have to get a go at their their players. And then they they got um, Robert Lewandowski, they got Mario Götze, and later on Mats, Mats Hummels. And that was also dismantling in a way, especially Lewandowski, uh, their main rival. Yeah, it kind of goes into the what we were talking about in the first half, Jonathan. You know, weakening everybody else so Bayern sort of stay on top, but that does create a certain dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two two slightly separate narratives coming together here, or two sort of historical trends. So, so one is Bayern's financial dominance, but the other, I think, is a you know, is is that point that Christoph raised right at the beginning about this being a peak of German football. That the fact that it had been uh, what twelve years between German victories in the Champions League is a long time, mm. and that sense that German football around the turn of the millennium had, had hit a historic low. Um, the fact they were having to naturalise the likes of Palo Rink and Sean Dundee, and <laughs> not that Sean Dundee ever ended up playing for, for Germany, but the fact they were even looking at some Australian by going, yeah, he's probably the answer, is mm-hmm. is, is humiliating for 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 country Germany's stature, um, and so that that review that's put in place uh, by the DFB in what was it ninety nine it was put in place, the the review with um, with Beckenbauer and Ribeck. And um, what's his name? Dietrich Wieser, the 
the, the head of youth development of the DFB. Uh, so, I mean, would you say this sort of 2013 with Bayern, 2014 with Germany winning the World Cup, that's the sort of the ultimate culmination of that review? Yeah, absolutely. And and um, and especially, I mean, when you look at the Bayern team winning 2013, um, it was with Thomas Müller, with Bastian Schweinsteiger, with Philipp Lahm, so three players from coming from the Bayern Academy. So uh, players, uh, they created um, on their own with their youth system. And that was part of the youth uh, academy revolution that started around the year 2000. And um, um, but, but if uh, mentioning these players and also Manuel Neuer, for example, at that time, there was a, there was a kind of discussion going on and and it was very a very public discussion that they this generation is not going to the end that they not finally make it not winning big uh, matches i mean from inside it's it's it looks like a bit bizarre uh, discussion uh, because in the end they they were winning it all but but uh, this 2012 uh, champions league final was was a kind of piece of evidence that they uh, were not not uh, not not able to uh, get the most of out of their potential so i think also on a personal level this um, uh, final in wembley was very important for for these players and and especially uh, one year later uh, winning the world cup so then then the discussion was ended no, nobody was talking about it and probably a lot of people uh, don't remember that they had written a lot of articles <laughs> <laughs> but because the other thing that fascinates me about this is the and, and again you touched on it before that you have klopp as this sort of figurehead of a new generation of the hard pressing germany and and you know we see his legacy in nagelsmann and and thomas tuchel and and whoever else and yet the manager who wins is your pankers who is very much of the old Germany. You know, he's been... When, when did he win the league for the first time? In about oh. well, 30 years ago now. So early 90s, he won the league for the first time as a manager. So Yeah, and, and he already at that time, he had, had been coaching Borussia Mönchengladbach for eight years. So, uh, so yeah, he, he, he was around for ages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, he's, I, mean, he's, I think he's, he's 76 he's, now, isn't he? Yeah, so. well, his first title win uh, as, as, as a manager was actually in the late 80s, Jupp um, Heinz. Which is quite incredible, really. And, and, went, and yeah, he knew. You know, he knew he was leaving his job, and he was being replaced yeah. by Guardiola. The yeah, they were, they were turning to yeah. you know, the other icon of the new football uh, straight away. So, I mean, was his football seen as being old-fashioned, or, or had he adapted? Or I mean, where, where does he, he fit he, in the story? He, he had very much adapted, and I, I think he he, uh, he is a um, he has always, especially in his late years, he he had become a very pragmatic coach in a, and I mean that in a very positive sense. Uh, so pragmatic in looking around, what's new, what what can I pick up, what are the ideas uh, around in football, what are the ideas in in how to uh, lead it. A team of coaches so he, he was working very closely together with fitness coaches and and so on and he was very eager to know about what what, what they were doing and and putting it in his his uh, uh, training work and and so on so so in a in a way so he he he, he was the the grand old man but he was modern in his his approach and but what um 
most of the people, um, uh, when when you talk to to Bayern insiders or pe uh, people who are were part of his coaching team, he was incredible in man management, uh, leading a group of high talented players um, uh, to 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 yeah to this title, leading through the, them through this crisis of. Uh, losing the final at home and and so on and uh, yeah I think he is without uh, being a um, I mean nowadays we see coaches sometimes as as founders of art forms Kloppism and Guardiolaism also there is no Heinkesism uh, but uh, um, but but I think he 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 has. He is one of the outstanding coaches in, in history of German football. Yeah, I mean, this was his all-conquering by inside, of course. But Jonathan, you mentioned Guardiola, you mentioned styles of football and so on. And, of course, there was that incredible result Bayern achieved on the way to the final, their most notable victory on the way to the final, that 7-0 aggregate win over Barcelona, which, for some, you certainly make an argument, ended that incredible Barcelona era of Guardiola, although it was the late um, Villanova who was in charge by then. Yeah, um, I think that's 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 right, isn't it? It, it? That that was sort of the the result that said yes, this isn't going to be this isn't going to be like Shankly and Paisley at Liverpool, where there's an easy transition. That Villanova, and of course we there was all kinds of other things going on there in terms of his health, um, True. and and maybe yeah, who, who knows what would have happened had it, had he been in full health and had had you know the. Had he had he not got the cancer, um, but but yeah, the, the, that 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 game that result made absolutely clear that this is not going to be Barcelona hegemony forever, and which, which it also some raised, may have thought it would be at the time. Yeah, because you know, it seemed La Masia was this sort of great production yeah. line of talent, but of course academies are never hmm. reliable. You know, it doesn't matter how good your academy is, doesn't matter if you're Ajax or Barcelona or whoever. You get good generations, you get weaker generations, and there's all kinds of other factors at play as well. But there's then that be a very, very stark question because Guardiola had already been appointed. You know, we already knew he was taking over Bayern when that game, when those results happened. Of, have Bayern just turned to the, yeah, you know, are they fighting the last battle? Have they turned to the wrong chapter in the book? <laughs> are, are they actually on on chapter ten and they just turned back to chapter nine? Yeah. Incredible, um, gentlemen. Let's let's talk about the final itself. Uh, of course, at Wembley, uh, and again, <clears throat> just to remind us of the rivalry, Dortmund and Bayern's last league meeting uh, this season ended one all. There'd been some ugly scenes between these two. I think um, Klopp and Matthias Sammer were having uh, some choice words to each other on the touchline and so on. So there was a lot going into this game. Um, Mario Goetzer, much speculation about him. He picked up an injury in the semi-final second leg uh, against Real Madrid, so so missed the final, which seemed to be quite convenient all round. But but he did miss the final. And in Germany, who were the favourites going into this game, uh, Christoph? Because the two good sides, and Dortmund were the German champions at the time, or you know, or was it even pitched like that? Was it because Dortmund seemed to be the underdog in England, and I think your neutral wanted uh, Borussia Dortmund to win. Um, but funnily enough for me, sat among a lot of Bayern fans secretly wanting Dortmund to win. <laughs> As the game went on, 
I realised what this meant to them, and I thought, I can't begrudge Bayern a victory here. In hindsight, maybe I can, but at the time, <laughs> at the time, I, I couldn't. But uh, what, what did you make of it um, going into the match? Um, I also thought um, that Bayern would be um, the favourite. Um, and I, I think Borussia Dortmund saw themselves as um, the underdog. Um, and and I remember I, I, I made an interview um half a year or so later with, with uh, Klopp talking again about this final and he was saying maybe it would have been too much if he would have won, won it. And uh, <laughs> uh, maybe it's it's some kind of rationalization of a defeat yeah. or, or whatever because I all, also remember that he was um, uh, there was a big party um, at the National Museum um, of uh in London, uh, natural museum. So with this huge skeleton of a dinosaur, yeah, natural history museum, natural yeah. history, exactly. And and there was a the Bruce Dortmund party, and and I was talking to Klopp afterwards, and he was still furious about um, uh, Dante not being sent off um, after the uh, penalty that Bruce Dortmund got because he was already booked and could have got a second booking uh, easily so uh, so his mood half a year later was maybe rationalized compared to um, the evening of of uh, the day but uh, a long way uh, yeah they they saw themselves as um, underdogs outsiders and and I, I did it also yeah i mean the game itself jonathan like you say, you said at the start of the podcast, I actually had forgotten how good it was. The, the first half itself, it was incredible. There wasn't a goal, really. Mm. So many chances. And I, I haven't looked at the stats, but I, I would be surprised if there were more shots on target or goalkeeper saves in any other final that we were in recent times because yeah. both goalkeepers were tested heavily in that first And I half. think Dortmund probably shaded the first half, didn't they? I mean, Bayern yeah. um, were clearly a threat from set plays and there was two or three opportunities they had from corners. Uh, and so in the first half, as the Manjikic header were just tipped onto the bar. But, but Dortmund had plenty of chances before that. I mean, a lot of them are sort of... When I say long-range shots, they're not sort of speculative shots. They're, yeah. they're sort of moves that end with somebody having an opening 20, 25 yards out. Um, so it's it's a it's long-range shots seems dismissive. They're slightly more than that, but I guess they're not great chances. But yeah, that that because well, in, in my head it was sort of chance. yeah it was it was a game Bayern was going to win. But the first half it absolutely wasn't that at all. It was no. I'd say Dortmund probably yeah they they shaded the first half. Yeah. Yeah, especially the, the the first thirty minutes. I, I think the uh, first goal chance uh, that you mentioned came after twenty six minutes or so for uh, Mandzukic. And um, but before that, uh, Borussia Dortmund had six attempts and and uh, Bayern uh, uh, had nothing. And and it was typical, I think, for for matches between uh, the two teams. Um, I always saw uh, very often on that at that time. I had the the impression as if Bayern, although they knew their opponent inside out, had to adjust to them uh, uh, because I mean this team at that time they were creating a certain energy 
and 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 a um, a feeling of being pressed, not not only in a tactical sense, but also in a kind of psychological sense that you're you're under pressure when you uh, play against them. Um, that they managed also um, uh, to 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 show in um, at least in the first uh, 30 minutes of of the match, and then it leveled out a bit. Yeah, well, as you said, um, Punk is very pragmatic coach but you look at that Bayern side I mean it's a star-studded lineup uh with 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 household names one player I always find quite intriguing Jonathan I mean maybe my intrigue is not felt elsewhere but Javi Martinez mm. is quite an intriguing player because perhaps underrated I mean he's if you look at his statistics didn't start every game um in in the league campaigns that Bayern would play but featured a bit more heavily in Europe Was was he quite crucial to them, or or, is, or or am I perhaps overrating him? Maybe. No, I think he. I mean, thing he's is, a funny he, player. I don't, yeah, he's he, he's a funny player because he, he looks wrong, right? He's <laughs> he's. I mean, he's too big for his skill set, right? Yeah, yeah. He he should be sort of a, a Fellaini type midfielder. He should be sort of a clumsy, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, agent of chaos. But he's actually really good on the ball, mm. and I think to have. It's, to be as good in the air as he was and also have the, the technical ability on the ground is very unusual. But there is a weird sense when you're watching him of, hang on, I don't, my brain's not quite understanding what he is. <laughs> and then, of course, he suffered all the injuries later in his career, which I think possibly yeah. have, have, have coloured the perception. And it may be that, that he was too big to be doing what he was doing. And that was what causes the injuries, that yeah, you know, to, to play like that, you need to be <laughs> five foot eight. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I know, you know he and he and Schweinsteiger together. I think were were hugely important in this game, and, and more generally for Bayern, that they were, you know, the, the the sort of perfect sort of pair of pistons at the back of the back of the midfield. Yeah, and it was interesting in that first half. Iron Robin gets a few chances. One, he kind of gets the ball muddled uh, in between his feet. Uh, Weidenfeller, who was who was very busy as well, saved, and he smashed one off his face actually. And with Robin, you could see certainly uh, the the intensity of his play because, of course, in that final at the Allianz Arena the previous year, not only of course Bayern lost on penalties, he missed a penalty in extra time, which Petr Cech saved. And I, certainly among the Bayern supporters. That, that I was sat around, but you could just tell with Robin, there was a great yearning to do something in this final and, and, and have some sort of say, which, which of course he would, uh, Christoph. But yeah, first half, nil-nil. And then amazing that it took an hour for the first goal to go in, but it was Mandzukic who... Um, it, it, one could sometimes forget that he was a striker at Bayern Munich, but an important player and, uh, and got that first goal, Christoph. Yeah, and... And at that time, um, there was a f- always a bit of a feeling that Bayern was missing a, a, a real striker, a real yeah. goal machine. They also had Mario Gomez here, who came on like in extra time almost, also. Um, and and they were not too happy with either Mandzukic and um, and Gomez, and uh, and so so that was also uh, one of the reasons why they. Desperately wanted to sign Lewandowski because you already at that time you could see that he was outstanding. But um, yeah, but but he 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 was um, not not only in this match but but also on the way to the final. Very very important for Bayern. Yeah, and and in that goal, John, if you can see how Bayern like to use the wings with with Robin and Rivery. Well, the fact that they can both cut in, so I think both yeah. sort of players are sort of de facto number ten. 
And so it's uh, your rivery cuts inside, slips it through to Robin, and that's that movement is enough to just break the, the Dortmund defence momentarily. And then suddenly, when Robin takes it slightly wide and crosses it, Mandzukic is is totally free in the middle, and it's. As is is typical of the man, it's quite a clumsy, awkward finish. Yeah. But it goes in anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of Mandzukic. I kind of, yeah. um, I, I think, I, I'd love to believe that type of centre forward is coming back because you need mm. a big man to play over the press. Yeah. But like sort of Martin Palermo, Mandzukic, dare I say, Nal Quinn. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, he, he's obviously quicker than Nal Quinn, but just a similar sort of, you know, Reads the game very well, perhaps not quite at the same technical level as, a, say, a Lewandowski. Certainly not as mobile as Lewandowski. And yet somehow, on his day, extremely effective. Mm. And then not long after that, perhaps the most controversial moment of the game, uh, Christoph, as you mentioned earlier, in, when you were talking to Jurgen Klopp, the, the penalty uh, for, for Borussia Dortmund where Dante commits the foul. And it's... We're talking, you mentioned the word clumsy there, Jonathan. I mean, my <laughs> goodness. Uh, what a dog's dinner he made of that. Uh, and should have been a second yellow card, would you agree, Christoph? Would you agree with Jurgen Klopp? Yes and no. I mean, when you look at it, yes. But when mm-hmm. you remember where he got the first booking for, that was uh, he was more or less standing in the way of, I think, Ilkay Gundogan in, in the first half. It was half a a, um, a tactical foul, half a, uh, yeah. Um, so so so, I think if you if you look look in the context of the the match, I think it would it would have felt wrong to send him off. But but technically, you could have sent him off. Uh, but what I found interesting when I was rewatching uh, the match now, I, I was watching it with with uh, English commentary. I think it was Martin Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, and he, he he didn't even discuss discuss the question if if uh, there should be a second uh, yellow card. So uh, interesting. Yeah, maybe we're thinking of it. You know, sort of nine, ten years later. But see, see this is odd though because. Dortmund had sort of two very, very weak appeals for penalties in the previous yeah, the previous 68 minutes. And when I first saw this again, again, I completely blanked out this I, I mean, I don't know why, but I, I remember nothing of this game. Um, but when, when, I, when I saw it again, my, my initial sense was, oh, that's sort of one of those cumulative penalties that they've had sort of three half shouts. And <laughs> you see the angle from behind the goal yeah, and bad. he's literally kicked him in the bollocks. It's bad. And <laughs> yeah. what I completely take Christoph's point that, that probably his two, you know, the, the first booking plus that should not equal a red card. However... There is no question that that is the other card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but perhaps the referee's angle, though, he didn't quite see it, which yeah. could be an argument. Because uh, yeah, I, I didn't realise it was the boot that had gone into the into the groin. It sort of yeah. just looks like he, I don't know, he just clips the thigh or something yeah, until you see that angle behind the goal. Uh, but and, and you're right, it wasn't um, it wasn't a dirty game at all. I think there was only two yellow cards in the whole mm. game. Yeah, uh, it was a very sort of um, yeah, the, even tempered, yeah, yeah, yeah. very competitive game, but very even tempered game. So yeah. yeah, you're right. I think a red card technically probably would have been right, but but sort of morally and emotionally, it wouldn't have felt it would have been out of keeping. Yeah, well, it wasn't given the the, the, yellow, the second yellow card, but the penalty was, and uh, Ilkay Gundogan dispatched the penalty quite nicely. And really, though, f- from there, I just remember it 
pretty much being all Bayern. Um, and despite the the equalising goal, it just felt like there there, there is there is an inevitable. It is it is inevitable, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> that Bayern would score, and uh, and a few minutes later there was an incredible goal line clearance from Subotic, and Robin was close. And he was getting closer. And it, it was, <laughs> the agony on the faces, that I do remember of the Bayern fans around me, Christoph, because again, it was nearly Robin's moment in, in that uh, instance. Yeah. And, um, and what, you could, what you can see, uh, uh, not only in this situation, Bayern was also constantly speeding up so we don't want mm. to go to extra time. Yeah, yes, we, we want to yeah. finish it in 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So even even uh, two minutes before they uh, they score the um, or Romans scores the second goal, I, I think they get a a, um, a corner kick or something, and they are like uh, the team that's one nil down or so. They yeah, are really yeah, yeah. hurrying it because I think they were they were feeling it that they mm. that, that they can win it, and yeah. I think. And I would say that is a very special Bayern quality that I have seen so often over decades. They smell blood. They know when the opponents, when, when they can crash him. And then they, they don't let him lose. And, and that's um, you, you, over and over again. I, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's in general a quality of good teams, but... I think it's also kind of written in the Bayern textbook also that um, if there is a chance to crush your opponent, take it. Yeah, which is why those finals in 2012 and even all the way back in 99 were, were even more hurtful because yeah. it was almost, it, it betrayed who they were. Yeah, but the Odyssey of 2012, I mean, you, you mentioned that that was what sort of forced this sort of sense of we've got to take you know th- that in, in combination with the, the the defeat in the in the domestic cup final that there's a sense of buying thing you know we've got to take this more seriously now we've we've got to really press home our advantage and yet my memory 2012 was buying by far the better team and they got undone by essentially football occasionally still can do this despite money and despite everything and football going you know all I'm smelling here is hubris and I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> and and yeah, 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 what I remember yeah, about that game was I, I was sat next to Paddy Barkley um, and uh, there was that big uh, display before the game of a, you know, you know, holding up the coloured cards in that end away to the right. So when you sat in the press box, it's away to the right. And it, it was it was the you know, the outline of the European Cup and it said, Unser Stadt, Unser Stadion, Unser Pokal. And just the 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 arrogance of that, and then when, when Thomas Müller goes off with I don't know six or seven minutes to go. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the with yeah. Bayern one 0 up. You know, basically taking his lap of honour. Not totally dissimilar to Matthias in '99. Well, yeah, yeah. And I just remembered looking at Padding and I, th- I think they might mess this up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then you know you had the missed penalty and then the penalty shit and, and all the way through that. As soon as Chelsea got the equaliser, it was sort of. This is football just laughing, just going, yeah. you can't but, do this. You can't take liberties with, with me. So, I, so I guess my point is that, that um, there is that ruthlessness, but at times it perhaps does tip into, into hubris. The sort of confidence yeah. you need for one can become complacency. Quite possible. I mean, yeah, which is why I think we saw the reaction that we did when it went one all, because there was only going to be one winner after Dortmund equalised. I mean, Weidenfeller saved well from Alaba and, and Schweinsteiger after that. And we should say as well, you were talking about maybe Dante should have been sent off. Lewandowski 
That looks like a stamp to me on Boateng. It might be uh, accidental, but he could easily have been sent off for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very true. Not very nowadays, true. maybe the uh, video referee would, would have said, hey, come on, take a look yeah. at this. Mm. It's very difficult to tell. It could just be, you know, you know, he loses balance and his foot happens to go down on the shin. But my instinct is it's a red card. My instinct is Lewandowski doesn't lose his balance. yeah fair enough Um, he does have big feet though so maybe just you know but uh, but yes uh, so I think everything you say there Jonathan it's why the the reaction came and obviously the final the year before is playing on their minds and especially on Mr Robbins and then finally finally with two minutes to go he gets his goal and what was incredible about the goal is when he kind of sort of jinxed through that moment, it's a slight, I, uh, I want to say a scuffed finish. That may be a bit harsh. He, he, he knocks it past the goalkeeper and he can watch it go in the net. He has time <laughs> to appreciate what he's done and think, oh, there it is. Thank you very much. And of course, passionate, wild scenes of celebration because that was going to be the winning goal. Obviously, there wasn't much time. But it felt, Christoph, that, that he had redemption from that. Uh, and Bayern had redemption from that That final the previous year there is a very interesting angle in in one of the replays where you can do some lip reading of um iron robin and so so he he is he's running towards uh, so the goal was in front of the bayern supporters so and he is running to the touchline to them and he is saying was 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 what 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 (laughs) so like saying so what are you saying now after you've <laughs> criticized me forever now that I'm delivering you the decisive goal and I, I'm delivering here the title and he had set up the first goal and he is a winner of, of the big match and, and so on and so on. And there is also some, some not only relief and redemption, but there's also, a, I think that you, you see a lot of anger in this. What have you done to me all the time? Why haven't you supported me as I hoped or, or so on? M- maybe we could, we could ask him today. Maybe he has rationalized it, forgot about it. Uh, uh, history is golden. I don't know. But in this in this situation, I was really I I I, I hadn't realized it before. I, I hadn't seen it before. So um, I was really like, wow. I mean, the, the, the history of football, I think, is, is full of football players who have this kind of, hey, what, what, what have you done to me all the time? Now I'm here. Now you have to applaud me. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that, but maybe it's for me, it was really like the high point or the crescendo of, of, of this game. Mm. Yeah, a fitting end to the match, Jonathan, because you had to have a winner somewhere. And on a personal note, I mean, I was delighted for the man, you know. Yeah, and it's a lovely goal. I mean, Ribery's sort of yeah. little little flick, but you know, back heel flick through for him, and then sort of. I mean, it's the strength held of one defender, a little little jink to open the space, and then yeah, as you say, I'm not sure if he scuffs it or if he just all he has to do is knock it past um, Weidenfeller, and. and you know, there's that. I mean, we you know, with on, on Jimmy Greaves' death. This was talked about a lot. That there's an aesthetic quality to Greaves' goals, precisely because he doesn't lash the ball. Uh, and I read a thing recently with Edward Streltsov, the the great Soviet striker of the fifties. You know, when 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 he came out of a gulag 
in the 60s and he'd matured and, and he wasn't this sort of Erling Haaland style centre forward, but it'd become something slower and more cerebral. Him saying that he found a greater beauty in a shot that didn't touch the net, crossed the line but didn't touch the net. <laughs> and that's what he was trying to do. But there is that, because there must be that moment when Robin is the only person in the stadium who knows he scored. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that must be a great feeling. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but when you, what, what I also surprised me looking back at this goal, um, how it was created. It was created so initially with a very long ball, I think, from Boateng. Am I right? I, um, so it, it's like a 50 meters, so we are one minute from time or 90 seconds from time. And there comes this kind of 50 meter uh, long ball from the Bayern defense. And then it's, it's Ribéry who is, who is taking it down and, and starting the, uh, the yeah. situation that leads to the goal. So again, they were desperately in a hurry uh, uh, to kill them in, 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 within 90 minutes. Um, yeah. Oh, the, the, the relief and celebration around the Bayern end of that <laughs> stadium was, 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 was something else. But, but yeah, it's, and of course, Europe Hunks wins the, win the trophy, scenes of celebration, and that's him. That was his uh, seat last season before Guardiola would take over of course but they won the treble they they obviously had secured the Bundesliga title they they won the the DFB Pokal final the week after so they they'd won the treble and they would also go on to win the super cup and the world club cup <laughs> so this was it was an all conquering side mm-hmm. this this Bayern team you know it, could one argue that 2013 was the best year or one of the best years in Bayern's history Christoph do you think that would be the case yes of course I, mm. and I, I um and I think probably Jupp Heynke still is the most loved coach in the history of, of Bayern. I mean, he, he had been there for four spells altogether. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he comes back and wins the league again, doesn't he? In <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, just about so, sure. So, and and uh, maybe he comes in next year again. What, what do we know? <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, so, so um, and uh, he, 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 he over the years, he had become a very humble, very nice man, and um, as I said, not old-fashioned, but but always on on top of the game. And um, uh, yeah, so um, again, I can can only praise him uh, uh, again because um, without being uh, somebody who brings in many new ideas or whatever um he he was he was able to yeah finalize what what was there um what you could what what, uh maybe the yes they wanted it too much a year before that but he learned from it and delivered it in at Wembley he certainly did Christoph a pleasure talking to you about this game thank you very much for coming on the podcast thank you Uh, For more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk. Myself and Jonathan will be back next week with another great game from the history of football. See you then.